Good morning, everyone. Um, I feel really blessed to be here with you guys today. Um, like Pastor Lucas mentioned, my name is Cale Mead, and I just recently took the call to be the missionary planting a new church in Canton. Um, why don't we um, say a quick prayer asking for the Lord's blessing on our message um, before we begin today. Dear Lord, open our hearts to hear. Um, may the, the, the words of my mouth and the, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, dear Lord, because you are our rock and redeemer. Amen. This past September marked the 60th anniversary of a pretty famous speech in American history. It was September 12, 1962, and President John F. Kennedy stood in front of a crowd of about 30,000 people at Rice University in Texas, and he was trying to convince them of one thing and one thing only. We should put a man on the moon. Right? He, he said, we choose to go to the moon and do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. It's a famous speech. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube if you want to. And you have to admit, it's just nice to see him kind of like go for it, right? He just gets right to the point. You know exactly what he's talking about. He wants the American people to invest their time, energy, and dollars in putting a man on the moon before the Russians. But I always imagine when I hear that speech, I'm thinking of like my grandparents, who were farmers in Wisconsin and Iowa before that, hearing that speech on TV or on the radio, and then my grandpa just kind of shutting it off and looking at my grandma and going, why are we doing this? And my grandpa wouldn't have been alone if he thought that. A poll taken earlier that year showed that 58% of Americans opposed investing in the mission to the moon. And when you hear some of the stats behind it, maybe you kind of understand why. When it was all said and done, the Apollo program would cost our country $28 billion. That's $280 billion today. And an estimated 5.2 billion man hours. Why would we invest so much in that mission? And so here I am today to talk to you about another mission, a mission to build a new home for God's people, both those near to him and far away from him in Canton. And maybe the same thought pops into your head that popped into my grandpa's head. <laughs> Why? Why is this the mission? Maybe you guys have watched those promotional videos or seen the posters with that really exciting but yet a little daunting goal of planting 100 new mission churches over the next 10 years. It's an awesome goal, right? It sounds great, at least on paper. And then you start to remember that the average cost of supporting a new mission congregation is $1 million dollars. And all of a sudden, we're looking at a pretty big bill. Churches all over the country are having trouble finding and keeping pastors. There just aren't as many young men training to be pastors right now. Do we really have the manpower to point at all of these new churches? 
And as a lot of you are very intimately aware, planting a new church, it's tough. It takes a lot of time, energy, effort, prayer, and God's hand of blessing. So why? Why are we investing so much in this mission? That's why we've got to turn to a guy named Paul today. Paul's a guy who comes up a lot in the Bible. And God even used him to write a lot of the books in the Bible. And if Paul would have carried around business cards, they would have said, Paul, church planter extraordinaire. He's probably the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. He just had a real passion for telling people about Jesus. But the Bible tells us that a lot of the times... After Paul would leave one of those brand new churches, some other people would come in and start bad-mouthing him. Ah, that Paul guy? No idea what he was talking about. And a lot of times they would just say the complete opposite of what Paul had just taught the people. And that's not even mentioning all of the times that he was threatened, kicked out of town, imprisoned, beaten, and stoned. Did anyone ever ask him, why is this your mission, Paul? Why are you investing so much in planting these new churches? And that's why we got to look a little bit more closely at what God is telling us through Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. If anyone ever asked him that question, or if he asked himself that question, Paul answers it right here. He tells us why we are so invested in these missions. And, and he's answering that question not just for himself, not just for that, that church in Corinth. He's, he really is answering it for us. So look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5 with me. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Right away, you get the feeling Paul didn't have those business cards that said church planter extraordinaire on them. This wasn't about telling people how great he was. For Paul, this wasn't like just a tour of shameless self-promotion like an author going on a big book tour. No, he was preaching and pointing to and promoting someone else. Jesus. Paul was preaching Jesus. And that's the entire reason he did what he did. His business cards right there would have said, your servant for Jesus' sake. And that's a really important thing that we have to remember because he even uses this really cool picture, an illustration to help us understand this point. And I always love all the pictures that God uses in the Bible. Um, look at this one with me. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. God has blessed my wife and me with three beautiful daughters, and after each one was born, someone would send flowers to my wife in the hospital. No one ever sent me anything, but hey, I'm over it. You know what I never heard Lauren say once? Wow. Who sent that jar? 
Look at that vase. No, she talked about the flowers that were in the vase. It's all about the treasure that's in the jar, right? Clay jars, they're fragile, temporary, nondescript. They are so not the center of attention. And so right there, Paul is answering, giving us our first answer to that why question. Why do we do mission work? It's not about the jars. It's about Jesus. And if you make mission work all about the jars of clay instead of the treasure of Jesus that is inside of them, then yeah, when we ask you why this mission, you're going to really struggle to be able to answer that. And this fact, it hits me really hard, if I'm being honest. It's a sobering truth for me to hear as a church planter. For as much as I want to pile all of the glory and praise on my own shoulders when things are going right, there's something not quite right about that. When, when, when people are getting excited about the new church and we're making a bunch of new connections, when Bible basics class is filled to the brim and people are learning about baptism and there are people actually sitting in the seats, I want to make it all about me. The jar of clay. It's suddenly my success. But then it's not all about God's mind-blowing power, is it? It's about our own power, our, our skill, our get-to-itness. Paul's answer to our question, why this mission, it hits home every single time we are proud. When you're proud, because maybe you finally knew exactly what to say to your skeptical friend who isn't in any kind of church. Do you see that? <laughs> I, I, I did that. Paul's words hit us whenever we forget what our role in all of this is. You are a clay jar. And can the clay jar ever take credit for how awesome the treasure inside of it really is? But there's another beautiful truth in that picture, though. The fact that God uses us as his clay jars, fragile and selfish as we are, is just a testament to how good our God is. He doesn't need us for this mission work. He probably shouldn't use us. I mean, just look at how often we try to steal all of his glory and make it all about us. But then we hear that awesome news that God invites us to be a part of this mission and serve him. And he did that by serving us first. Jesus laid aside all of his power as true God, all of the glory he had as true God, and he became like one of us clay jars. And he served us, and he did that so that we could have glory. His glory. The glory of God's one and only Son. 
You see the beauty in that? That God doesn't demand alignment with his mission. He lived the mission perfectly through Jesus first to get you on board. The treasure you get to carry around as a jar of clay is the good news of the one who took all of our sinful pride and glory stealing and he put those things to death alongside himself on a cross. That pride, it's dead now. And now you and me, we've been raised to new life, just like Jesus rose to new life after he died. And so the treasure, the good news of why we do this mission is because it's all about Jesus, the same Jesus who makes you a jar of clay with the greatest treasure that the world has ever seen in it. The treasures of free forgiveness, new life, and freedom that we have because we trust in Jesus and we trust in what he did for you and me. And that message, it comforts us too and strengthens us as we carry out our mission. Um, Look at what Paul says next. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. Now, I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but I am by no means an expert when it comes to pottery. But, hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, those don't sound like really good things when you're talking about something fragile. And then at the same time, you notice Paul says, not, we're not crushed, we're not in despair, not abandoned not destroyed. That can only be possible if someone is taking really good care of the jar. And the good news that Jesus fills us up with is not just the good news of how he forgave our sins, of how he transformed us into these jars of clay, but also the good news that he is holding you in his arms and he's going to give you everything you need to stay strong when things get really tough. I mean, news that good, that life-changing, it just has to be shared. And so that's why Paul keeps going. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe, and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. When President Kennedy gave that speech 60 years ago. He's trying to get everyone to get on board with his vision for America. Paul isn't doing what he's doing and telling us to do it too because it's his vision. What we share, it isn't just good news. We do this mission work because it's not about the vision, it's about the truth. Paul says, if you believe this, if you know that it's true, you're going to talk about it. If you need a good uh, example of how believing and speaking go hand in hand like this, um, think about it this way. Um, Last Saturday, the Georgia Bulldogs beat Tennessee to take over the number one spot 
in the college football playoffs. And if you told me, if you told me, um, if you told me Georgia is the number one football team in America right now, how would you respond if I said, yeah, that's just what you believe? Maybe a lot of you would say, well, we're actually Georgia Tech fans here. So. But if you happen to be a Georgia fan, you would say, yeah, that's what I believe, but I believe it because it's the truth. <laughs> it's fact right now. And if it's true, if it's fact, if you believe it, you're going to talk about it. So that means when we talk about Jesus with our, our friends, neighbors, coworkers, that is not just a, a knee-jerk reaction of blind faith, divorced from reality. No, we do that because, like Paul, we are convinced that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. We don't do this mission work because it's just the vision of one man. We do this because it's the truth. The truth that, yeah, every single person on the planet has been separated from God, was dead in God's eyes because of the wrong and hurtful things we think, say, and do, but also the truth that Jesus wiped away every single one of those things when he died on the cross. That those who put their trust in Jesus are raised to new life. I mean, this truth we get to share is pretty awesome. New life, resurrection, guarantees for the future that give us hope for the right now. And if you believe it, you're going to talk about it. There's one last answer Paul gives us of why we do this mission work. And it's a really important one, one that we cannot lose sight of. Let's look at our last verse. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So Paul's last answer, it's not about us, it's about them. Can I share a story with you guys? Uh, before I came to Georgia, I was a pastor for four years in Juneau, Alaska. Would love to show you guys pictures sometime. But while I was in Alaska, I got to meet the Woodbury family. Ray, Bethany, Ava, and Parker. Now, Ray would have told you that he was a Christian. Baptized, really connected to church when he was a teenager. But even he would admit it probably been about 20 years since he had really gone to church consistently. Didn't really have a church home. Bethany, his wife, grew up Mormon, and she wasn't really, like, up for that anymore. And their kids, Ava and Parker, they knew about a, a little bit about God and Jesus. So when some of their friends, who were members of our church, started inviting them to worship, it didn't take very long for them to start asking questions and want to learn more. So we went through the Bible Basics class, and Bethany, Ava, and Parker were all baptized on the same day that they joined our church. And one of the coolest parts of the story for me is a few weeks after all of that happened, 
they, uh, one of the, our parents was driving Parker and his friends to a field trip. And when they drove by our church building, he shouted in the back of the car. He went, that's my church. And I can't help but think, isn't, isn't that the reason why we do this? So that more people will rejoice like Parker. So that more people will shout to their friends, that's my church. That's where I get to hear about Jesus and everything that he did for me. That's where I get connected to a God who loves me and connected with people who love me too. We don't do mission work so people will talk about how good we are at outreach or connecting with people or how good we are at organizing systems. Definitely not that one. And we do this so that more and more people will give thanks to God for the love, his love that they found in Jesus. So that God will be glorified more and more through his saving work that he is accomplishing in their lives. Saving work that we get to play, even if it's just a small part, we get to play a part in that. I realize I don't get to speak in front of a crowd of like 30,000 people today and share the, the Bible's reasons for why we do this mission work. But I am extremely thankful to be in front of you today to talk about this work. Because it's a blessing to have more and more people keeping this kind of work in, in, in their prayers and giving your encouragement. It's a blessing to have more and more people giving thanks and glory to God for every new person that walks through our doors. And whether it's in Atlanta, or up in Canton, or somewhere really far away, we know why we do this work. It's about Jesus. It's about the truth of what he's done for the world. And it's all about the people that need to hear that truth. That's why we do what we do. Amen. And now this peace of God that goes beyond all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.